Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. So let's just jump into this and let's take a few minutes and let's remember or just revisit a little bit of what we looked at last week. Last week we we hit some really big topics as we went through the first book of the Bible. We went through Genesis. Uh, We talked about creation. God is creator and we can have conversation about what that means, how he created, but bottom line, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. Uh, so we talked about creation, that Genesis 1 and 1 and uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 uh, passage. We talked about man's fall and separation from God. You know, Genesis 3, we get into the, the very uh, beginning of our problems as humanity, and that is our choice, the choice of Adam and Eve uh, to disregard God's command and the fall that came from that and the separation that came from that in that because of sin, they were no longer able to walk in that relationship with God that they had had in the past. But one of the cool things is as you read through Genesis 3, you see already in verse 15, God's beginning to talk about or to lay out his plan of redemption. God wasn't caught by surprise. He gave man free will, and I have to believe he knew that with free will um, would come some really good things. It would come the choice to love, the choice to obey, the choice to be in a relationship of integrity, but also came with the potential to fall and to fail, and man did. And uh, God wasn't caught by surprise, and he began his plan of redemption at that point. And we begin to look last week as we work through Genesis, God's plan of redemption, how it unfolded. We looked at Abraham. We looked at uh, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, and how God said, Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to restore, I'm going to redeem all of humanity, uh, Jew and Gentile alike, for those of you that that follow that piece of the understand that piece of the plan. I'm going to redeem all of humanity through your descendants. We talked about his his son Isaac. We talked about his grandson Jacob. We talked about his great great grandson Joseph, and how God through it all kept his plan in place and let nothing get it stopped or destroy it or hinder it. And we ended last week with Israel going into Egypt. Uh, Abraham Abraham had Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Joseph and 11 brothers, and Jacob, who became known as Israel, and Joseph and his family were, were went and traveled to Egypt because of a famine in the land. And that last week is where we left off. This week we're going to pick up with some new topics, and I want to spend some time talking about them. We're going to look at how a family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and really Joseph, uh, the, the family of Jacob, who became Israel, become a nation. I mean, they went from being a family to being a nation. We're going to talk about, again, a little further how God protects his plan of redemption. We're going to continue with a conversation about the covenant. We're going to look at the covenant continued tonight, and we're going to look at God's covenant expectations that come along with that. So with all of that being said, let's jump in tonight to Genesis 46, 2 and 3. And uh, we're, we're going to kind of segue our way from last week into this week. So we read in Genesis 46, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. So when he says Israel, he's not talking about the nation. He's talking about the man who was Jacob, who was renamed Israel. God spoke to Jacob or Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. 
Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. So we see already at the end of Genesis, the promise is reiterated. I'm going to make you, Jacob, your family, a great nation. And then we read in Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why is God making Israel's descendants a great nation? So that through them will come the Messiah, who will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So we see the, the, the pattern. We see the plan unfolding. We even see that plan happening all the way back in Genesis 3.15. I, I alluded to it a little bit ago. Um, at the time that God spoke the curse onto the serpent, he made this statement in verse 15. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God, I want you to see this tonight. God has had a plan for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to redeem you. Let's make this personal tonight. He did it to redeem you and to redeem me. He put that plan in place. So tonight we want to pick up with Genesis 46, 27. I mentioned this a minute ago. Seventy people went into Egypt. Israel or Jacob's family consisted of, including Joseph who was there, 70 people. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. But they're going to be made a nation. And I want tonight, I want us to take some time, and we're going to look through Exodus and a few other passages, and I want us to see how that transpired, how that took place. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And you see God's plan carried on continuously through the generations. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob became named Israel or was renamed Israel. He had Joseph and his 11 brothers. And then even Joseph and his generation died. But God is still blessing this family. But it's still a family. It's not yet a nation. It's still a family. And they were, but they, and they were blessed. And generation after generation was, were blessed. But then we read in verse 8 of Exodus, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So all of a sudden, God has this plan in place, and the, and the generations of Abraham are being blessed, and they're multiplying, and they're growing, and it seems like God's plan is falling terrifically into place. And then all of a sudden, this man, this king, rises up in Egypt, who is not a God worshiper, not a Yahweh worshiper, not a worshiper of the Lord our God, and he becomes upset and concerned that there's too many of these people. What's going on? This can't be good. And we read a little further in verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them. Pharaoh did not like this. The king did not like this. He did not like that there were more of them than there were of us. And he set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they, built, they, they became slaves and they built the store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. I want you to see this tonight because sometimes we see this happen in our own lives. We feel like, and, and sometimes, often rightfully so, you know, I'm paying a price for my choice to follow after God. 
I'm, I'm paying a price for my choice to live a life of righteousness. I'm paying a price. Uh, I, I'm paying a price because I choose to live a life that is biblically moral. And, and oftentimes that's true, but I want you to see this. God has got the capacity. He's got the ability. He's got the love that even when we pay a price for our choice to live lives of morality, he's still got the ability in the middle of our oppression to multiply us, to bless us, to strengthen us, just as he did the children of Israel. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And you see this battle going on here. We've got this battle going on between God's plan, and I believe there was a satanic influence on, on the side of Pharaoh. I mean, he worshipped all the gods of Egypt, and I believe there was some demonic influence, some satanic influence going on there. And you almost, you, you can picture this battle going on between God and his plan and Satan's, uh, Satan's attempt to destroy it. We see it again in the New Testament with the birth of Jesus, but we see it right here. Verse 13 tells us, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. It's like God said, no, I got this and the devil upped the ante. He raised the, the, the stakes. He increased the oppression. And God said, nope, you're not going to pull this off. You're not going to stop this. I'm going to continue to bless. And Satan, uh, he, he just raised the temperature a little bit further. And they were ruthlessly made, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Even that wasn't enough. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, look, the slavery's not doing it. Okay, okay they're, still, they're still multiplying. So he went to the midwives, the ones who helped with the birthings, the births of, of the babies, and said, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them at, to the, at the birth stool, if it's a son, kill him. Now, now think about the depravity of that. Think about the, the, the heinousness of that act. If it's a boy, kill the baby. Just kill the child. If it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male tr children live. And even then, God stepped in, and these midwives made a choice. We're going to live morally. We're going to honor God. So God dwelt with the midwives, and the people multiplied, dwelt well, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And Satan comes along, okay, I'm going to up it one more time. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And you just see this, you just see this battle between darkness and light. You see this battle going on between God and the enemy. You see this battle going on. And every time Satan comes along and tries to increase the pressure, God steps in and says, you know, Satan, I saw it coming. I, I got this. You're, you're not going to, you're only going to get to do what I give you allowance to do for a moment. And, and I believe there's such application there to our own lives we face oppression, we face difficulties, we face hardships, but we've got to hang on to the reality that God, guys, God is still in control. He's always in control. It, what we just read about, what we just saw in, in Exodus 1 is a, a word that was forespoken, and, and I hope you remember this. This came from last week when we studied through Genesis. I, I want to just go back to chapter 15 for a moment. The Lord said to Abram, so this is before Abram has been renamed to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God told Abraham, Abraham, this is going to happen to your descendants. They're going to be afflicted for 400 years in a land that's not their own. 
But he says in verse 14 something. He says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And it, it was a, a forethought, it was or a foreword, a, a, a word from God that this is the way this is going to progress. He knew it before it happened. And here's just a couple of questions for you tonight. Have you ever had, and actually I asked these exact same questions last week, but I want to ask them again in, the, in this context. Have you ever, ever had an experience where God orchestrated events, but at the time you just didn't see how? God, how can this be you? God, this is hard. God, how can how can this be you? God, I don't understand where you're going with this. But yet, because we, like Abraham, are people of faith, we continue to trust God. And in the end, he works it out. Has God ever moved you in some fashion and it seemed it was just a detour in your life? I mean, I got to believe, you know, when Jacob and his family went to Israel, they were probably excited. They were being saved from famine. God had raised Joseph up to be a, a leader in the, in the nation. And it had to look like, man, this is going to be great. I can see how this can happen. We may rule Egypt someday. But then they became slaves, and, and it almost had to feel like for them, because I don't know that slavery just happened overnight. It happened as a process over time, over probably decades, maybe even over generations, and it had to feel like, God, what are you doing? Is how, Are you really behind this, God? Is, is, is Satan bringing about this detour? But in the end, God was still in control, and I, I hope you're you're seeing that tonight. So we read in Genesis 46, 27, 70 people went in. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. But look at this. Talk about God and his promise. We read in Exodus 12, 37, 38, and 40, 600,000 plus came out. Okay, so that's how you go from being a family of 70 to being a nation. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. This is after they have finally been released. Pharaoh has let them go, let them uh, head back to the promised land, back to Canaan. Um, they've journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. 600,000 men. That didn't include the women and children. And in addition to that, I want you to see this in verse 38. I think sometimes we miss this. Not only did the children of Israel, the children of Jacob come out, but it says a mixed multitude also went up with them. So it wasn't just the Israelites, the, the people of, of, of the children of Jacob that the Egyptians would put in bondage and had enslaved. There were many others of many other nationalities there as well. A mixed multitude went up with them. And very much livestock, both flock and herds. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And you see God's foreordained word fulfilled. 400 years, they're released. When they come out, they come out a nation. They went in 70 people in a family. They came out uh, a nation. But not only that, look at verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land. The people of Israel had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. It wasn't just that God took the 600,000 out. I mean, Abraham um, had passed his wealth on to Isaac, who passed it on to Jacob, who undoubtedly passed it on to Joseph and, and his brothers. But now they come out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. It, it, these, these weren't poor people coming out of Egypt. These weren't impoverished, barely. These were people that came out with the wealth of Egypt uh, in their care, just as God had said it was going to happen. And not only that, the Egyptians were urgent with them. Not, not we'll let you go, but we're, get out of here. Go, leave. Uh, we don't want you here. Here, take all of our stuff with you. And, and we're, we want to look tonight, how did that come to be? How did that come to happen? 
How did that happen? How does 70 people come in and 600,000 come out? How does 70 people go in uh, free and, and 600,000 become slaves and then leave the nation with the wealth of the nation? Let's just look at this tonight for, for a moment. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of the plagues, but I want to focus in on the last. And it was God's hand. And, and God continually reminded the children of Israel uh, that it was him that brought them out of Egypt. He was the one who brought them out of slavery. The Lord said to Moses, uh, when we come to the final plague, which is the one I want to focus on tonight, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon, the, uh, upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. So God says, I've given, there were nine plagues given. He says, I'm giving the 10th plague now. And we read in verse four, thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl and all the firstborn of the cattle. Now, just a couple of thoughts about this. People, sometimes they struggle with the idea that, that uh, in these passages, it talks about Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and people want to almost feel like sometimes God made Pharaoh do, do this. And I, I want to point something out to you. The first five plagues that came, it doesn't say God um, hardened Pharaoh's heart. As a matter of fact, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So Pharaoh had plenty of opportunities to make the right choice, to make the right decision. Um, it wasn't till Pharaoh had settled it in his own heart and his own mind that he was not going to do what God in his righteousness and his justice required of him to do, to let his people go to free these slaves. Then God said, okay, you've made your decision. Now I'm going to harden it even further, and I'm going to, I'm going to have glory brought to my name. Now, just a couple of thoughts on this. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. That is horrifically harsh. I mean, that, that, that's harsh, okay? But just to put in a little bit of context, um, God is just, God is righteous. You say, well, how can it be just and righteous to cause the firstborn to die? Well, there's a couple of thoughts there. One is... All of the firstborn undoubtedly weren't, I mean, we think of babies, they weren't babies. There were many of the firstborn who had made their decision in life. Am, am I going to live righteously or not? So there's that piece of it. The other piece of it is God, when he sees things, he sees it from an eternal perspective. And I happen to believe built around teachings in the New Testament and even throughout the Old Testament, if those babies, if they were babies involved there, and there may have been, um, they stepped out of a lifestyle in, in Egypt, Pharaoh's Egypt, that was just a, a, a horrendous place of evil, stepped into eternity with God. I happen to believe that to be the case. But I would also suggest this to you. Remember, part of this is the consequence and justice built around Pharaoh's decision. Remember, it was Pharaoh first who said, kill all of the firstborn, uh, all of the, of the, the boys, of the Israelites. And there is a sense here where what takes place at this point is just. Now, I would also suggest to you that the firstborn of the Egyptians did not have to die. Okay, you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Barry. Of course they did. God was going to only save the Israelites. No, that, that's not what it teaches us here. What we see there is those that heard the word of God and obeyed the word of God, and we're going to see here in a moment, applied the blood of the lamb down the doorpost and across the lentils, their children would not die, whether it was an Egyptian or whether it was an Israelite. It didn't matter. What mattered was, will you obey? Do you obey? Do you believe the word of God? 
So the Egyptians who lost their children had the option to make a choice to follow after God. And you say, well, you know, they were following their own gods. How did they know that? Well, they were following their own gods. But remember, this is the 10th plague, not the first plague. Okay, they've seen God's power, God's authority in action for a very long time, many times explicitly shown, and yet they chose to harden their hearts and refuse to obey and to follow after God. Some things to think about, and I realize most of you, maybe all of you on this feed tonight, that's not even a question or an issue. You just kind of accept that God is righteous, and I, I understand that. I am very much that way as well, because I know he is. But you will, you, will, you will talk with people, and there are those that struggle much more with that than perhaps you do, and it's important to understand all pieces and parts and, and perspectives on this. We're told in verse 6, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out of you and all the people who follow you. And this 10th plague happens and all the Egyptians come and say, you've got to leave, you've got to leave now. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb without blemish. And here, here we're seeing the first, uh, some of the first foreshadowing of what Christ did for each of us. Okay, I, I want you to make these connections. Christ was the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, the New Testament tells us. He was without sin. He was without blemish. This lamb, we're told in verse 5, it shall be a male, a year old, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight or sacrifice them. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. Now, uh, let, me, let me read this next passage here. Uh, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 11. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. Now, now understand this, okay? In Pharaoh's mind, in the Egyptians' mind, this was not just a battle between Pharaoh and Moses. This was a battle between their gods and Yahweh, okay? And God isn't just executing judgment on the Egyptians, although certainly that's true, but also he is making it clear that these other gods are no gods. He says, I am the Lord, in verse 12. The blood shall be a sign for you, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. And here's what I wanted to point out and make a connection to us tonight. Understand, folks, that our salvation works just like, like this. Um, we are not saved. We are not Christians. We are not promised eternity with God. We're not promised heaven because of our righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The, the Christian is not the man or the woman who's been made perfect, who's figured it out and got their life together, although we should be working on getting our life together as we follow after God. But let's face it, not one of us on this feed tonight are perfect. What allows us to stand before God is the blood of Jesus that covers us and when God looks at us through the blood of Jesus, through the price that Jesus paid in our stead, the price he paid on the cross, he sees us through that filter and therefore can see us as made right or righteous. We need to understand that tonight. We need to understand that and not be too judgmental against other people who are still not living lives of perfection, but truly are walking with Christ to the best of their ability. But we also need to be 
aware of that in our own hearts and lives and not be too hard on ourselves sometimes. There is a lot to be said for grace and mercy and the blood. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not a that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not a pass to say, you know what, you can live your life any way you want to. That's not it at all. But it is the reality that none of us can ever be good enough to receive salvation based on our own lifestyle, our own capabilities. It's the blood, and it's always been the blood, and it always will, will be the blood that allows us to stand before God righteous. And the blood shall be a sign for you, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It applies to us today just as it did to them in those days. Let me touch on tonight covenant for just a few moments, and then we're going to call this an end. We're coming up on uh, the end of our Bible study tonight. But let me just spend a few minutes talking about covenants. God calls us people to a covenant relationship. Let's look towards the end of Exodus. And I want you to see this. God has now brought the children of Israel the descendants of Jacob of Israel out of Egypt. They've been set free. They've gone into the wilderness. And uh, we read this in verse 1. After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will keep indeed... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, so here we have covenant again, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I just want to point this out to you tonight, and we're going to hit a couple other passages here real quick on covenant, but remember this. God made a covenant with Abraham. Remember back in Genesis 12 and through throughout all of the book of Genesis, he made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant extended to Abraham's son Isaac. It was renewed there. It extended to Isaac's son Jacob, who became Israel. Uh, it was renewed there. Um, and here now we see the same covenant being extended and renewed with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through and, and Joseph. And again, now God is making a covenant, not with a man, not with a family, but with the nation. And it is that covenant that makes them a nation. And there'll be a kingdom of priests, and you see it, a holy nation. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said, we're going to obey. We're, we're in this. We're in this covenant thing. We're going to follow this. Now, I want you to see this. They were chosen because of the covenant love, because of God's commitment, not because of their own capabilities. Look what it says in verse 7. It was not because you were more in number. Verse 8, um, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And, and understand that this evening. God saves you and me and is in a covenant with you and me not because of our strength or our ability or our righteousness, but because of his love for us. Verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord is God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But notice verse 10, and repays those who hate him by destroying them. And I believe part of that destruction, maybe all of what is implied there, is eternal destruction, uh, eternal separation from God. I want to I want to play about a three minute video. If you guys will give me just a few more minutes here, this is really we got some really good stuff. I really want to wrap this up with tonight. If you guys will hang with me, give me a thumbs up if you can give me five more minutes here, guys. Um, I'd really like to to cover this tonight. I want to talk about covenant 
and this idea of ancient treaties for a minute. I want to show you a video, and I'm just going to tell you it's only about three minutes long. It's not real long, um, but let me let me uh, get this started tonight, and uh, let's see how these treaties, these ancient Near East treaties, compared to a covenant because the covenant idea of covenant was built around that concept. There is a question about the similarities between the divine treaties or covenants with the ancient people and the treaties of the ancient Near East. Similarities are found when a master, like a suzerain or a strong country, makes a treaty with a smaller country, or a master makes a treaty with a vassal. So the terms of this treaty or covenant are between a stronger party and a weaker party. In these treaties, there are similarities with the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that God made with the ancient people, the people of Israel. The terms are similar. There are six sections or six parts of this treaty. We can call it a treaty, covenant, contract, agreement, or convention. In the first part, there is a preamble to introduce the treaty or agreement. This comes first and is brief. In the second part, there is a historical account of the relationship between the two parties a historical record of what has happened up until that day. The third part contains the conditions of the relationship. These are general conditions that are applied to the relationship between the two parties. The fourth part is the detailed conditions, details for every specific issue. The fifth part has a declaration of the gods as witnesses. We could say that in the book of Deuteronomy, God is the witness, while in ancient Near Eastern treaties, whoever is a stronger party witnesses that this treaty occurred. And the last part in this treaty is the pronunciation of the blessings and curses. This means that if you obey and follow the conditions, you will be blessed. You will receive the following privileges. While if there is a lack of commitment to the treaty's conditions, there are warnings. According to the book of Deuteronomy, these are called blessings and curses. These are the similarities. God can use historically what was common in those days, but he gives it a deeper meaning and a spiritual meaning in the relationship between God and his people so the people might understand and realize how serious this treaty, how serious the relationship with God is. So if God was going to come into the 21st century and put in place a contract covenant, he would go hire a lawyer, and if it was in the West, he'd go hire a lawyer, put together something that looked probably very much like a contract that we would use today. Why would he do that? Because he wants us to understand it, and that's something we can relate to. 
cool thing is the entire book of Deuteronomy and each one of the covenants that are given throughout Genesis and Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and on into Joshua, each one of them follow, follow this ancient Near East pattern of a suzerain treaty and have those various parts in it, the preamble and the description and the historical piece and, and all, all those six pieces that he mentioned. But they also all have the idea of blessings and cursings. And, and with that comes the idea that there are certain things each side has to do. And if you want to be blessed, you need to uphold your side. And that's where I want to bring this to a close here tonight in just a moment. I want you to see this. The covenant continued. We saw it renewed uh, just a moment before, but let's look at Joshua. Now, all of a sudden, the children of Israel have, so we're a, ne a next generation. Now, they've come into the promised land, and, and Joshua makes a statement, Choose this day whom you will serve. And he says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God is at this point, at this moment, he is again renewing the covenant with another generation. Um, every generation, then that covenant gets renewed, gets renewed, gets renewed. And I, I want you to see this. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. And here's where it applies to me and you. And I, I want you to see this. Verse 23, Paul makes a statement when he's describing what we call communion. Um, but he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And again, in your life and my life, the covenant, the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus now, is renewed. It is, it is continued forward. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And we can make this simply about communion, but I think it's about something deeper than that. I believe it needs to be applied when we're taking communion, but in that moment we're stopping to ask ourselves, am I really walking in a covenant relationship with God or am I just playing games with God? And he says this in verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks, anyone who claims the blood of Jesus without discerning the body and eats, drink, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. In other words, if I call myself a Christian, if I claim the blood of Jesus, if I say it's been applied to my life, but then I turn around and willfully live a life that is not in obedience to him, am I not breaking the terms of the covenant? And if not, I not set myself up for the curses, if you want to call them that, in Deuteronomy it would be considered curses. In our day and age, we would consider it eternity separated from God. Um, choose this day. And I think this applies to you and me today as, as we bring this to a close. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I, I want to end tonight um, with just that call to each and every one of us. Take a moment and examine your heart and examine your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you walking in right relationship with him? I hope you are. If you're not, if there is something between you and him that's separating you from him, you and him, if, if someplace in your life there's not sincerity, if you are not sincerely doing the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to him, then tonight is a great night to repent because you don't want to find yourself in a place where you've broken those covenant um, stipulations, that, that, that commitment to God, I will love you, serve you, and obey you. Um, thank goodness for grace and mercy. And, and God even showed it all the way back in Egypt to Pharaoh. And he certainly does to us as well today. He's patient and he's long-suffering and he's all those things. But, but please don't miss this tonight, F folks. If, if you're playing games with God, 
God is just, he is righteous, and ultimately he will be judge. He will judge in righteousness and he will judge with justice, but he will judge each and every one of us according to the condition of our hearts. So please make sure tonight that you're covered by the blood, the blood of Jesus, that you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and live in your heart, and that when God looks at you, he looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ, the most important thing you can possibly do. Next week, we are going to jump into the dynasty of kings being established, and we're going to look at how Israel did well sometimes and not so well other times with maintaining the covenant. And remember this tonight, um, all of this is put into place. All of this covenant was put into place to bring us to a place where mankind could be restored to a relationship with God. Hey guys, love you guys, appreciate you guys. Um, I hope you all have a great week. And hopefully next week I can get our video back to where it's a, a little bit more um, where it should be and where it used to be. And uh, I will talk to you soon. If you can make it Sunday, I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, if you can't make it Sunday, I hope you can get on to our Facebook live feed and be a part of the service that way. Remember this Sunday, only one service again this week at 11 o'clock. And uh, God bless you guys. Appreciate you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.